0: This message entitled, Follow Me, Yes, Come and See, was delivered to Christ our Rock Bible Church on January 15, 2023, by the Rev. Roy D. Warren, Jr. The scripture reference is John 1, 43-51. A woman pulled out of the church parking lot one day after the service, only to remember that she had left her purse there on the pew. She immediately turned around, went back to the church, but the purse was already gone. Just as the woman turned to leave, the minister held out her purse and asked, are you looking for this? Why, yes, she replied, thank you. And the pastor explained, he said, I thought I had better pick it up for safekeeping. And she responds and says, why, pastor, surely my purse would have been safe in church. No one would steal it from the church, from the pew, would they? No, no, said the minister. I don't believe anyone would actually steal it. But we do have some people who... uh, Knowing what you know knowing what prayer means in their lives and, and for them uh, to several people in the congregation, somebody just might consider your purse to be a direct answer to prayer <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> hopefully not uh, you've probably noticed sometimes children see direct answer to prayer more obviously more conspicuously more um, clearly than perhaps uh, others older people and so forth. Dick Van Dyke used to have a show this was years and years ago kind of like Art Linkletter and you know children say the kids say the funniest things you know something like that. Anyway he tells about a child who felt the storm outside his family's home just raging oh just pounding and uh, making all kinds of noise on the windows and trees blowing and all the rest of it. And uh, this child believed that the storm was in direct answer to his prayer request. He said, I did this. I prayed for this storm. Okay, gleeful, I mean gleeful, just thought it was great. I prayed for this storm. It's fun, it's fun. But as the storm persisted, the fun kind of ran out. He started to get a little more anxious about it. He ran downstairs and asked his uncle nervously. He said, How long is one prayer good for? He just had to know because he was getting a little scared. How long is one prayer good for? Jesus did teach us to be persistent in prayer. Unfortunately, there are people in the world today uh, that are treating God like some kind of giant Santa Claus and, you know, just ask, like he's Santa or something. I want this, I want this, I want this. And a fellow by the name of Joe Rudrick was such a fellow. He prayed every morning when he arose. He prayed at every meal throughout the day. And he prayed at bedtime, and he often prayed at other times uh, throughout the day and throughout the night, even. And Joe persisted throughout his life, and, and yet when he retired, it ended up that he had basically nothing. Okay? He had nothing, while his atheistic brother in law turned out to be a millionaire. Why is it, Lord? Joe approached the Lord on the day of his retirement, that I have nothing, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and I have nothing, and that good-for-nothing brother-in-law of mine has everything. Well, at that moment, as the story goes, a mist, a mist began forming in Joe's bedroom. A solemn voice emerged from the mist And the answer was this. He asked, how is it? How is it? He's got everything. I have nothing. He says, because you're a numbskull. You're a numbskull, Rudrick. All you ever do is bother me with with every little thing. And your brother-in-law, he's been working his tail off, gathering up all this stuff throughout life and thereby looking like he's got it made in the shade. I think there's a lot of people still out there that really don't really understand what God is calling for when he does call for prayer. When he does call for people to be seeking him. It's not seeking stuff, and that's where he went wrong. Okay, It's seeking Jesus. It's seeking him. It's loving God. It's being um, committed to what God is calling for. Okay, follow me, yes, and in that following, you will come and see. You will come and see. It's not a matter of gathering up stuff. It's not a matter of getting, you know, 18 things today and 21 things tomorrow and, and so forth and so on. Remember the one child in this series of illustrations, he he's wanted to know how long does one prayer last? And that's a pretty good question indeed how long it turns out that Jesus ministry was just getting off the ground so to speak Jesus was baptized and the first disciples were on board namely Peter and Andrew and then you know from one gospel account that immediately he runs into James and John so that makes four but James and John aren't mentioned here in John's gospel um in in that way as as it is elsewhere okay but there are two others that are mentioned here very clearly A fellow by the name of nathaniel and another one by the name of philip and i want to suggest to you that actually the whole thing was rather orderly and precise okay it turns out the day after John the Baptist makes clear that he is not the Messiah, because that was the big question. People were thinking he was the Messiah and not Jesus. And John had to point in the direction of Jesus. You know, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Okay, now that's a day after John the Baptist made it clear that he was not the Messiah, that Jesus gets baptized. Okay, look at verse 29. This is John chapter 1, verse 29, before where we're going to be today, okay? Look at verse 29. The next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, okay? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, all right? Then look over to verse 35. You're going to be going right past the story of Jesus getting baptized. Okay. In verse 35, in the next section, it says, Again, the next day. Okay. Again, the next day. After John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Look at verse 43. Look at verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and finds Philip, okay, and says unto him, follow me. Finds Philip and says, follow me. Okay? But every time, three times now, we've seen it, okay, the next day the next day, the next day. And you need to get a feel for what's happening here. It's like one foot in front of the other, one step in front of the other. We've spoken of this before. We've seen it before. You know, take this step, then this step, then this step. You continue, and, you, and you're and you on your journey. Remember? That's what the whole thing about Christmas was all about. That's the whole thing about moving from Christmas into Epiphany is really All about. Okay? Now, at the end of this, which is in 43, 44, we find these two new people we hadn't heard about before Philip and a fellow by the name of Nathaniel. Okay? I'll just show you. Let me start back at 43 again. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now, Philip, was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they most likely knew each other. They were probably all friends, really. You know, they were from the same town. Verse 45, Philip finds Nathaniel. There's a whole lot of finding going on. I think you probably noticed that. Right? Okay, it says Jesus would go forth into Galilee in verse 43 and finds Philip, tells him to follow me. And then, in 45 it says, and Philip found Nathaniel and said unto him, We have found him. See, whole lot of finding going on. Whole lot of finding going on. Okay? And finding means uh, to find, it's actually to find without seeking. Without seeking, just to go out and find. Okay, so there's no real seeking going in, going on. He runs into these people, but he knows they need Jesus. Jesus knows, first of all, that they need him. But then the others will know that too. So follow me. And now Philip was of Bethsaida, city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him, meaning we have found the Messiah. Okay, we have found the Messiah not really searching every under every rock or behind every tree but just out there and there he is it's a finding without seeking okay which is very possible we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write now watch jesus of nazareth and then it says the son of joseph now i've stressed before that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. So when this is discovered, okay, this is not saying he's the biological father, but he is going to be the earthly father of Jesus. And therefore, Jesus is his son, the son of Joseph. Okay, but not technically and not literally and not biologically. We already went over all of that several times, so we're not doing it again. But this is one of the few places. There might be one other place that mentions something about him being the son of Joseph. But usually what it says is the son of Mary, the wife of Joseph. That's usually what it'll tell you. Okay? The Bible's trying to make clear that Joseph is not the biological father. But he is going to be the earthly father. He is going to be the one to raise him up, to take him to to classes and so forth, and go to the synagogue and go to the church, Joseph is going to be that spiritual leader, okay? Verse 46, And Nathanael said unto him, as soon as he heard something about that his name was Jesus of Nazareth, he says, and we, we mentioned this before, but we were not at the story. Now we are at the story of this happening. We mentioned this. But now we're there. Okay. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, come and see. Amen. Come and see. Follow me. And if you'll follow Jesus, hallelujah, you will come and see. Amen. Come and see. See means to see with perception. So you may have gone out and found him without hunting and searching for him, but when you find him, you see. Does everybody get that? I think, I think that's an important distinction, an important point. Philip says unto him, "Come and see." He is not going to try to, you know, prove. To Nathaniel, who this Jesus is, that he's the Messiah. He's not going to try to, you know, uh, somehow get him to understand it. He's just you. You come and see. You come and see for yourself, and you will see. Okay, and it's a perceptive seeing. It's not just eyeball seeing. It's heart seeing. I think it's interesting how these two things go together there's a finding that isn't trying to go out there and find a certain person you run into him you find him but once you find him and you follow because he said follow me right that's when you perceptively see i hope you're getting that because i think it's important okay i do i think it's important those two things have got to come together and that's why we got it right here Follow me, yes, come and see. Okay, there's a lot of finding going on and it's not by happenstance. I mean, it's not by seeking, but they're they're out there and they're they're in their minds and in their hearts. They, They want to know what to do with their lives. They want to know who to follow, okay? So it's not just, by happenstance, but there is a, a, a looking to find something and to follow something, okay? Follow me and you will come and see, okay? Let me show you something, and this is where we ran into this before. Mark your place in John, but go back to Matthew, please. Okay, go back to Matthew. And... Uh, It's in the... uh... Yeah, here it is. Here it is. When Joseph is purposely following God's leading and taking Jesus to Egypt, and then he finds out that Herod has died, so then he takes him back up to Israel. But then they hear about Archelaus ruling... Instead, and he's worse than anybody, and so that's when you know that's when God said, "Go on all the way up to Nazareth, where you're from, where your families were, you know, where Joseph was from. I mean, their ancestral home was Bethlehem, but they lived lately, more recently, in Nazareth. Okay, so watch. And he came and he dwelt. Verse twenty-three. He came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth." that it might be fulfilled watch which was spoken by the prophets that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, when we hit this a couple of weeks ago, I I tried to make it very, very clear that this was on purpose. They were being sent to Nazareth on purpose, okay? So that Jesus would be called Jesus of Nazareth. That would be a challenge. It would be a challenge for any of them because Nazareth was not known for being the best place in the world to live. You know, they, they send surveys out, studies out, and they find out which town is the best one to live in. And, you know, and a lot of times Pittsburgh ends up high on the list as opposed to some other things. Nazareth was always down there somewhere. Nazareth was kind of at the bottom of the list. Who would want to live in Nazareth? Okay? It was filled with, it had a lot of Gentiles in it. It had a lot of uh, people that weren't really seriously taking, well, let me put it this way, taking God seriously. So they were from Nazareth. Well, now Jesus is going to be called Jesus of Nazareth. He would have to contend with that. He would have to deal with it. He would have to no, that originally he was from Bethlehem. I mean, he was born in Bethlehem. But now he's just being raised in Nazareth. He knew this would be a negative statement for people. And he would have to live a life that was going to get people beyond this problem. Do you see what I'm saying? He shall be called a Nazarene. An inhabitant of Nazareth. Okay. And that was not seen as a positive thing. That was not seen as good. And Jesus would have to contend with that. There would be a, in a sense, there would be a level of suffering with that. He's got to somehow get people to understand that he is the Messiah. But you see, if he's from Nazareth, then he can't be the Messiah. Okay, because, because, There's no prophet. They they told him this. There's no prophet that comes from Galilee. Do you see it? He's now, Jesus has now got something he's got to contend with throughout his whole ministry. And God put it there. That's the amazing thing. God put it there. All right? This would be a hard thing to deal with. This would be a hard thing to come to terms with. There would be a measure of suffering. He would constantly be bucking this Nazareth thing. People would think that's where he's from, so he can't be a prophet. He can't be the Messiah, okay? Because there's no prophet that comes from Nazareth, as far as the religious leaders were concerned. Praise the Lord. I hope you see what I'm saying here because I think this is crucial. I really do. I think this is crucial. There would be a measure of suffering in this for Jesus. And God's the one who placed him in that position. God's the one who made him go to Nazareth or told Joseph to go to Nazareth, raise him up from Nazareth, and thereby be Jesus of Nazareth. And this would be a negative thing. This would make life harder for Jesus. It would make life harder for his ministry, for his trying to share with people who he is, because there can be no prophet that comes from Nazareth. I hope you get that. I hope you see it. God set this hard, difficult thing in front of Jesus, his own son, his own son. God set it up so he'd have a difficulty with this. What would that cause him to do? It would cause him to rely on the Father More and more on the Father. Everybody got that? You see it? Okay. All right. God's outlook on suffering is obviously different than our own. We just basically have the idea, I don't want it. (laughs) I don't want any suffering. Keep it away from me. You know, and so forth. And, uh... And God, a lot of times, will put things right in our lives, right in, in our paths, so that we have to deal with it. And we have some form of difficulty or suffering or whatever. And then, But God's going to get the glory when he brings us through it. You see that? Amen? Amen. All right. I think it's crucial. I think it's important. We gotta grab these things when we see them. He sees not just the instance of suffering, God that is, but he also sees the end result of the suffering. And that's what he's doing when he puts this thing in front of Jesus and causes causes him to be called a Nazarene. There's gonna be people that don't want him because he's from Nazareth. But God did that on purpose. All right. So it's not just the pain involved in the suffering but there's also the refinement that's going to take place in any uh, place of suffering. And that's certain, no doubt. Someone has said that the perspective of eternity, in the perspective of eternity, the worst suffering this life could hold would be like one night in a bad hotel. I mean, that's how insignificant Even the suffering of a lifetime can look to us if we see God in it. If we see that God had a purpose and a plan for us to make it through that thing. It's no worse than one lousy night in a bad motel. All right? And I think that's true. I think that's true. Because if we get all bogged down in, well, I had this problem and I had that problem and I had this suffering and that suffering and... You're not going to see God. You're not going to see him for who he really is because he wants us to learn something from the places of suffering that he gives us. Even though God's view of suffering is certainly higher and longer than ours, he is always there to comfort us in the midst of the pain. Let me illustrate. Okay, let me illustrate. One of the most encouraging things about suffering is to see how God uses it, not only in our lives, but he ends up using our suffering in other people's lives. Okay? There's a church, got two people in it. Well, they got more than two people, but anyway, there's two people in the church. One was a young child, or teenager, I suppose, at the best. His name was Blaine. Actually, it turns out he was in grade school, but heading towards teenagehood, Okay? And he was going to have to lose his leg. It was going to have to be amputated because he had cancer, bone cancer. And it was going to be amputated just below the knee. Shortly after Blaine's surgery, Ted, a high school teacher, was involved in a four-wheeler accident that left him paralyzed from the waist down. While Ted was working hard in rehab, he received this letter from Blaine. Now, that's the boy who was going to lose the the leg, okay? And he had heard about the coach's accident, as a teacher and a a coach. And so he wrote this letter, Dear Coach T, Ted, Dear Coach T, that was his nickname, all right? My name is Blaine. You may have heard about me, but I have cancer. I'm going through chemo, and I know I'm going to end up losing my leg. This is before he actually loses the leg. So I know what you're going through. I bet it's hard knowing that you may not walk again. But I want you to keep praying for God to give you peace over this whole thing. He has given me peace about my leg. He can give you peace about your walking. Never give up on God And keep on praying for a miracle and never stop because he is always in the miracle business. You have no idea what God's going to do with this prayer. You have no idea what God can do with this prayer. Remember, I'm praying for you, Blaine said. And then he signed it Love Blaine, Blaine H. And then he put a PS down towards the bottom postscript p.s for i know the plans that i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future and then when he got done sharing that scripture in his note okay he had a an afterthought okay and down at the very bottom of the page, he scribbled this. Remember, God always has the best plans for you. God always has the best plans for you. And, and, there's, and I guess what I'm saying is, don't think for a minute that God didn't know the best plans for Jesus. Jesus as he gave him this lifelong time in Nazareth so that he could be ridiculed for being from Nazareth. God did that. God did that. He didn't, you know, he's not always about making life free sailing. You know, he's not always about making it just happy, 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 hunky-dory, just keep pushing along. He would need to be confronted about his birth, and Jesus would be. Oh, well, they got after him. They, you know, they got after him. He can't possibly be a prophet because he, he was, you know, born someplace else. The confrontation about his birth, whether or not he was a, it was a virgin birth... Or whether he was a prophet or not. Or whether he was the Messiah or not. All of these things would come up. All of these things would come up being questioned. And you would think that God would just let Jesus kind of free sail through this whole thing. And, and, and not have to be confronted on all this stuff. Jesus would be everything God would call him to be. Everything necessary for salvation. Yes, Jesus would be more than adequate, more than adequate to accomplish what God was calling him to, even if he had some issues to deal with, like this being the Nazarene. Stories told about a guy who years ago now went to a Rolls-Royce dealership in New York City And he began to shop for one of those premier automobiles. He had a a lot of questions about it, of course. And his very enthusiastic and well-informed salesperson uh, answered them with ease. Just right through. What's your question? What's your question? He had almost exhausted his line of questioning. And all of a sudden he decided, he did decide to purchase the car. He decided to purchase it. When he had a final thought, though what's the horsepower of this car? What's the horsepower of this engine? So he asked and the salesman said, well, you know, I don't think I've ever been asked that. Let's check with the manager. So they ran over to the manager, but the manager had never been asked that question before and he didn't know the exact horsepower. So they consulted the literature. You know, the books and, you know, the sales things and so forth. And they looked it through, looked it through, page after page, looked trying to look it up, consulted the literature. But they were unable to find a precise number. Couldn't find a precise number. Horsepower. So not wanting to lose a rather lucrative sale, the sales manager placed a call to the manufacturing plant where he was connected to one of the key engineers on the assembly line building that car. And he said, I've got a customer here at the showroom, and he's ready to buy. But first, he wants to know the horsepower of this particular model number. Can you help me with this? We tried looking it up. We tried asking people. We don't, we don't know what it is. Well, there was a slight pause before the engineer answered the dealership manager's question with a single word. Adequate. Adequate. Oh, I'm sure he probably still wanted to know, you know, was it 416 or 503 or whatever it might have been? What's the horsepower? Adequate. The Apostle Paul was definitely a high-powered, top-of-the-line evangelist. Even so, in Corinthians, they were hesitant to buy his preaching. They wanted to know his qualifications. They wanted to know the horsepower. They wanted to know specifically And so they were hesitant to buy his preaching, to buy his teaching, without a healthy dose of skepticism. They questioned his motives, they questioned his abilities, they questioned his credentials, and Paul finally told them that they themselves, they themselves were his letter of commendation. They, them, and that his adequacy came from a very impeccable source, namely God, (laughs) namely God. Not only was this thing a done deal, but this deal was done. When your abilities, when your motives, when your credentials as a believer, that is what God has instilled in you through Jesus Christ, because you are Christ's, you belong to Christ, okay? Praise God. When that's all called into question, don't panic, okay? Your life is going to be able to defend you. I mean, if indeed you're in that position, your life will be able to defend you and the Savior himself has already made you more than adequate. More than adequate for whatever task he assigns. Glory to God. Praise God. And I think the rest of the story actually tells the story. All right? I want you to turn. If you're not there, go ahead and get there. I want you to go to uh, John chapter 1. Okay? Because we were back in Matthew last. But now turn to John 1. Okay? And we'll start with verse 43, even though we already saw this part. But we got to see the rest of the story. You ready? Verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, finding Philip He said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael, and said unto him, We have found him. We have found the Messiah, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can there? Any good thing, can it come out of Nazareth? And you know what, Philip? Philip didn't try to argue with him. Philip didn't try to say, well, you know, this and that and that and this and something else. No, Philip said to him, come and see. Amen? You just come and see, and you judge for yourself. Is this a good thing, or is it a bad thing? This Jesus, okay? So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. Now watch, and he said to him, now this is Jesus speaking to Nathaniel. listen, behold an Israelite, talking about him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Is no guile, okay? Guile is the Greek word doulo. Literally means, it means to bait. It means to lead on. It means, you know, guile is to be fraudulent, to be deceitful, to be adulterated. The opposite, by the way, of guile is truth. This is a false. This is not, I'll put it this way, this is not a false guy. He may be from Nazareth, but this is no false guy. Okay, in whom is no guile. That's what Jesus is saying about Nathanael. There's nothing false. And Nathanael, watch this, verse 48, Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? So now Nathanael said, How do you know me? You know, you don't think there's anything false in me, but how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, watch, before that Philip called thee, before he even called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What's the fig tree? The fig tree is where they went to have their prayer closet. This is where they went to pray to sit under a fig tree. A lot of people would literally plant a fig tree over in the backyard, maybe over in the middle of the yard or corner or whatever, and they would go over and sit there. Okay, under the fig tree. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now watch, verse 49. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, Rabbi, thou art the son of, Of God. (laughs) Did you notice? He's no longer referred to as the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. Amen. Now watch. Thou art the king of Israel. This is a lot to know about some Nazarene. This is a lot to know. Rabbi, thou art the son of God. And thou art the king. Now watch, verse 50. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? In other words, do you really believe who I am? Because I just, I saw you under the fig tree? I mean, is that your, is that what you're saying? And that's when Jesus said, you're going to see greater things than these you'll see greater things than these. Okay, let me put it this way. Why did Jesus, why was Jesus able to see him under the fig, fig tree? Because under the fig tree, he was in prayer. And who's receiving the prayer? God. And who's the son of God? Him. Amen? So Jesus has heard the prayer. Jesus even knows what this guy was praying about, okay? But now he tells him, you think that's something, (laughs) you think that's amazing, you're going to see greater things than these. And that's when he said to him, verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. imagine he saw him under the fig tree so now Jesus knows all about him he's heard the prayer in fact in a sense Jesus is God and so Jesus is hearing the prayer of this guy under the fig tree so I not only saw you under the fig tree I heard your prayer I know what you want I know what you need let me I want to just I want to close with this story listen I want you to picture 42nd Street and Broadway, just down from Times Square in New York City. It's peak traffic time. Buses, cars, trucks, taxis, delivery vans, all zipping around. A dull, well it's more than a dull roar, but it's a roar. Traffic everywhere, you know, honking everywhere. People turning this way and that way. People going faster than they should, etc. But on the curb, on the curb is a mother cat with a kitten hanging in her mouth. She is trying to carry her baby across the street at one of the busiest intersections on earth. And she starts out and then she darts back in. And then she darts out a little bit further and almost gets run over. She tries a third time, but no success. Finally, there's this cop, this Irish cop, an old Irish cop with a heart about as big as the city, sees for himself what's going on, what the dilemma is, and takes the situation in hand. He starts blowing on his whistle. He raises his hand and he steps out into the intersection of 42nd and Broadway and stops traffic cold, stops it from every direction, and the mother cat sees her opportunity and scampers across safely. All the power, all the energy of New York City was held at bay by that policeman's right hand and that whistle and the mother cat probably didn't even know it all the cat probably sees is traffic stopped and she gets across safely with her baby I don't even know that she knew that this cop had done this And I wonder how many times in your life, I wonder how many times in my life, the sovereignty of God has prevailed at critical junctures when we needed the traffic to stop. How many times has he enabled us to move safely through a moment of difficult decision? Huh? I wonder. You see, there is more, there is moral guidance system by which we humans operate some people try to call it a GPS a global positioning system and that system helps us determine the will and the purpose of God when God makes it clear which way to turn which way to go, when to go when to go back, whatever when he shows it we're supposed to be able to sense it. It is difficult to explain. Would God leave his children with no way to determine his will for their lives? I say no. I say never. He has given us our own built-in reason, our own built-in intelligence, our giftedness, our inclinations. Best of all, he has left us with his own inner voice that speaks to us, when we get still enough, he will lead us in the right way. And it's like we were talking about earlier. You know, you can imagine a lot of different things, but when God puts his mind to work, when God imagines how he's going to get you through, He can get you through. Amen? So don't solely lean on your own understanding. In fact, that's not the best thing to lean on at all. Acknowledge him, the scripture says, and he will direct your path. Amen? Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So you begin with following. That's what he said at first. Okay? He finds Philip, and that's when he said to Philip, he said, follow me. Amen? So you begin with following him, and then you will be able to come and see what that's going to mean in your life, what that's going to mean for the next step and the next step and the next step, all the way through the intersection, safely. The fact of the matter is, and the point is, that he is quite conspicuous. So we've got to zero in on what he's speaking and what he's trying to say and just turn to what he has to say right here for right now, amen, because he's calling us to go his direction, amen, his direction. Praise the Lord. He is pretty conspicuous. And you'll especially notice that when you want him to be. Quite likely, if you don't want him to be, maybe you're not going to see him that way. But he is pretty conspicuous. He is pretty obvious as he manifests himself. Amen? But remember, like we talked about earlier, according to his word. So, amen? According to his word. Glory be to God. Father, I want to just truly thank you, Lord, for this truth here that we can see, that we can know, that we can understand. Lord, you have a purpose and a plan. And it's, and it's not to harm us. And it's not to hurt us, it's to carry us through to the other side of the street safely. We want to thank you, Lord, that you know the whole story and you know how you intend to have it end. You want us with you in your heaven together with everybody else. who wanted you in the same way. So I pray, dear God, we'd truly take you seriously on these things and we'd let you lead the way with your word, with your heart. Glory be to God. I thank you. I thank you that you are the God of all comfort. I thank you that you are the God that is totally adequate to save us And to bring us all the way to the other side. I want to thank you, Lord, for the divine guidance that you desire to instill in us. A very special GPS that gets us into the center of your heart and your will. We love you and we need you, dear God, today. And we need you every day. So I pray, Lord, that that would be our heart's cry. Glory be to your name. We want to follow you, Lord. And when we follow you, that's when we will come and see. Thank you, Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. We give you the glory. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Praise God.